Maybe you would think of words like rugged or romanticized. Or maybe a description such as slow-moving with moments of sheer excitement. Or maybe a word like instinctive. Maybe the thought of being alone with nature. When you think of the life of a shepherd, maybe those are words or phrases or pictures that come to mind. We think of somebody who maybe has a sort of slow-moving life for a while, but then has to be very instinctive in the moment. They have a lot of time to reflect on the things of nature and look around them, but they still had to remain alert and instinctive at all times, knowing that things could change quite literally in a heartbeat. For those of us who love the Bible, it's almost impossible to imagine avoiding the imagery of sheep and shepherd throughout Scripture. There's no way to list all the passages on one PowerPoint slide, but here are a few where you see that imagery. In John chapter 10, Jesus described Himself as the good shepherd. We'll come back to that one in a few minutes, by the way. And He went on to say that the sheep, His sheep know His voice. At our Thursday services at the nursing home this past month, we've been looking at John chapter 10 and thinking about that context of Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. The Old Testament very often described God's people when they were rebellious or when they were unorganized as sheep without a shepherd. You see three of those references on the screen before you. Numbers 27, 17 does that. 1 Kings 22 and verse 17, as does the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 7. The first time we're told that Jesus was moved with compassion in the New Testament. It's found in Matthew 9 and verse 36. He was moved with compassion because the people were as sheep without a shepherd. And of course, we also can think of that great judgment day scene where Jesus tells us that He will separate the righteous from the lost as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 32. But I suppose that no passage of Scripture that uses that imagery of the shepherd and sheep is any more beloved than the six verses we read together turned into five verses of a song that we just sang together from the 23rd Psalm. Penned on the hillsides of Israel, this poem represents one of the most beloved passages anywhere in Scripture. Even people who don't know much about the Bible recognize those beautiful opening words, the Lord is my shepherd. And most people who know nothing about Scripture would still recognize certain phrases from this poem, such as the valley of the shadow of death, or my cup runs over, my cup overflows. We want to think tonight about not the whole psalm, not even the entirety of the first verse. I want us tonight to think about literally the very first line. The Lord is my shepherd. In his classic work on Psalm 23 called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, Philip Keller opened his book with these words. To a great extent, the Bible is a collection of books written by men of humble origin, who penned under the guidance of God's Spirit. Much of its terminology and teaching is couched in rural language, dealing with outdoor subjects and natural phenomena. The audience to whom these writings were originally addressed were for the most part themselves simple nomadic folk, familiar with nature and the outdoor life of the countryside about them. Today, that is not the case. Many who either read or study the Scriptures in the 20th century, obviously when he wrote then, now the 21st century, come from an urban, man-made environment. 
City people especially are often unfamiliar with such subjects as livestock, crops, land, fruit, or wildlife. They miss much of the truth taught in God's Word because they are not familiar with such things as sheep, wheat, soil, or grapes. Many of you are familiar with those kind of things, but some of us aren't. We need to make certain that even though we may not be as familiar with some of those outdoor, rural kind of things, that we don't miss the beauty that's found in so many places in Scripture, including this poem, and even in the very first few words. Brother Eddie Clower rightly suggests about the 23rd Psalm, the first line of this psalm is the greatest of all expressions of contentment. Tonight, what I want to do is look at each one of those words, the Lord is my shepherd, and see that in each one of them, there is something to be found about contentment. For the the first part, I notice the Lord is my shepherd. There's a singleness found in Psalm 23. You know, sometimes we speak of how others worship other gods. But in reality, we know there really is only one God. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 5, Paul, of course, mentioned in that list of the seven ones, there is one Lord. The very first commandment given in the Old Testament law to the, to the Jews, to the children of Israel is, you shall have no other gods before me, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3. But we know the reality of it is, there really is not another God, but we can make gods, we can make deities of our own devices. Sometimes they can be, as described in Exodus 20, those graven images made of silver or gold. But sometimes it can be something like money or fame or the praise of people or many other things. It could be something we do, sports or hobbies or even our job. Anything that comes before God or takes the place of God becomes, as it were, a God to us. But the very first words that were to be taught to Hebrew children were, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God The Lord is one. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. He is singular. When we consider the one who is our shepherd, you and I need to always remember He is the only God. And so David wrote, The Lord is my shepherd. But then as I look at the poem, I also see sovereignty. The Lord is my shepherd. The word for Lord here in Psalm 23 is the Hebrew word Jehovah. And that may surprise you a little bit if you know a little about the Hebrew language at all, because you may know there are two major names, if you will, for God found in the Old Testament. One, obviously, is Jehovah. The other is the word Adonai. And if you're familiar with that word, that might make more sense in Psalm 23, just off the top of our head, because that's the word that usually means more of a personal relationship. But instead, David chose the word Jehovah the covenant name of God, the creator name of God, the powerful name of God. This is the name, by the way, you've probably heard it suggested many times, and it's true that many Jews throughout the ages refused to even try to pronounce it for fear of saying it incorrectly and thus blaspheming the name of God. But if you think about it, it makes perfect sense that David would choose that name of God for this poem because here is David riding out under the open spaces of Israel's sky And his thoughts are on the glory and the majesty of the Creator, of Jehovah. The name Jehovah is found 6,519 times in the Old Testament. No, I did not take time to count them. I took someone's word for it. But it's the name that shows such power and glory to the Jews that many of them refused to even say it. But David suggests that this is the powerful, glorious God who is his shepherd. 
This is the same word, by the way, or the same name of God that you'll see used in the passages you see listed on the screens before you. In Genesis 1, we read of creation. And each time God creates in that chapter, it is the name Jehovah. So He is the creating God. In Genesis 4, we're told of Cain and Abel who brought sacrifices to Jehovah. And so He is the God who is worthy of worship and sacrifice and proper worship. In Genesis 6, Jehovah was grieved that, he, that man had become wicked. And Jehovah was the one who destroyed the earth with a global flood. But it's also Jehovah in that same context who saved Noah and his family. We might suggest, behold the goodness and the severity of Jehovah. In Genesis chapter 12, it's Jehovah who calls Abram and later changed his name to Abraham. He is the covenant-making God. In Genesis 29 and verse 31, it is Jehovah who looked upon Leah and opened her womb. And so he is the God who loves and promises. And in Genesis 39 and verse 2, we're told that Jehovah was with Joseph in prison. And so he is the God of providence. Folks, that's just a handful of the times we see that name and just a handful of times we see it in the book of Genesis itself. And here is David writing about the one who said, let there be light. And there was light. He was the one who with the word of his mouth flung every star that David could see and countless more he couldn't see beyond those into place. Here is the one who brought the grass that the sheep ate and the trees under which David would have rested as he wrote these poems into place just with the word of his mouth. He is the one who brought the water to the flocks that David would have been leading throughout the hillside. When you and I struggle to trust God, we need to remember He is sovereign. He is Jehovah. He is all-powerful. He is the Creator. And if that's true, folks, He certainly can handle my problems and yours. And so one songwriter rhetorically asked, Why should I feel mad when you made the heavens? Why should I be afraid when you put the stars in place? Why should I lose heart when I know how great you are? Why should I give up when your plans are full of love? He is sovereign. And as I look at Psalm 23, 1, I also see the Lord is. And so from that, I know that there's a sustaining. When you think about the grandeur of Jehovah, we begin to grasp some of the comfort of the passage because David does not say, the Lord was my shepherd. He also does not say, the Lord could be or might be or will be my shepherd. Instead, David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. There's a sustaining nature to that statement. In fact, in the original language, the word is is not even there. Literally, by the way, this opening line reads, Jehovah shepherd my. That's literally how it would read. And in fact, when the Old Testament was translated from Hebrew into Greek, the 23rd Psalm begins this way, The Lord shepherds me. In other words, it is assumed that God is a shepherd. That's how much this sustaining nature is found among Him or from Him, I should say. Do you remember as Moses offered excuse after excuse to God for not going before Pharaoh? I don't want to do this. I can't talk well. And on and on and on. He went with all these excuses. And finally Moses said, who should I say sent me? Do you remember the answer that God gave? I am has sent you. We might simply say the ever-present one is the one who is sending you. Isaiah stood before the people of his day and he tried to remind them that God does not just see all time, but God is outside of all time. 
And so he said in Isaiah 46, beginning in verse 8, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. You see, we are so bound by time That we can sometimes feel as if God isn't working in the way that He should because He's not working on my timetable. He's not working as slowly as I want to, or let's be honest, most of the time, He's not working as quickly as I might want Him to. But another poem in Psalms reminds us, He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Psalm 121, verses 3 and 4. There's a sustaining in Psalm 23 that we can take comfort in. That the Lord is always there. He is constantly our shepherd. Even the very best human shepherds have to sleep at times. But God never does. Even the very best human shepherds have moments when they will fail in their focus or in their decision making. But God never fails. Human shepherds will die. Or they'll eventually quit their work and move on to something else. Either to pursue another work or just to retire. God is always our shepherd. Jehovah is. As a sustaining. Now, skipping over a word, I see at the end of the line, a shepherd, obviously. We're going out of order, but I'm going to do that for, for effect. I want to camp for a moment on the fact that Jehovah is our shepherd. The word shepherd comes from the Hebrew word ra'ah. It's an all-encompassing word. In fact, if you'll allow me, let me just read you some of the definitions of this Hebrew word. The word means to tend, to pasture, to shepherd, to rule, to teach, to feed, to graze. And I point that out simply to say that what David chose as his word here to describe God is a word that means that God works, yes, but God also cares. Eddie Clower suggests that this word picture teaches us that God provides for the sheep, that He guides the sheep, and that He restores the sheep what is needed to them. I think in the New Testament, we see the clearest picture imaginable of that when we consider Jesus the Christ. You remember in John chapter 10 and verse 10, I told you we'd come back to this, where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. We're told that He'd be called Emmanuel, God with us. Folks, if God is a shepherd, and if Jesus claimed to be the good shepherd, then we should be able to see some things in Jesus about a good shepherd. And there are a lot we see, but let me suggest four. First, Jesus loved His sheep. The love is what motivated Jesus to do everything that He did. It's what caused Jesus to leave heaven and come to earth in the first place. It's why we read four times in three different accounts, He was moved with compassion. It's why He was willing to suffer loss of sleep and so many other difficulties just to do what was right. Our shepherd, Jehovah, is love. All that He does flows out of His nature because that's who He is. God is love. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, And so God loved the world. John 3 and verse 16, He loved the sheep. Jesus also led the sheep. Jesus was the master teacher. He's called rabbi on more than one occasion. But at the empty tomb, you recall, He's called rabboni, master teacher. He was constantly teaching what the people needed to hear. Some things quite simple, and some things quite complex. God has left us with His Word, which David said is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, verse 105. 
God constantly will lead us if we'll follow His Word. He will not leave us without a leader. Our shepherd desires to lead us, as is written later in Psalm 23, in paths of righteousness. He desires to lead us down the straight and narrow path of life. He loved the sheep. He led the sheep. And Jesus also was the good shepherd because He looked after the needs of the sheep. How often do we see Jesus looking after the needs of those around Him? Sometimes they were physical. Always they were spiritual. He healed those who were sick of basically countless infirmities. He healed blind people. He did so many amazing things, we can't even list them all. But he also never lost sight of the spiritual needs of all those around him. He was constantly pointing people back to the Father in heaven. He said in the book of John, My meat is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. Our shepherd provides for us in ways we can't even count. Jehovah gives us life. He gives us blessings too numerous to count. And He gives us all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus, Ephesians chapter 1. And we must always remember He gives in abundance because we cannot count our many blessings and name them one by one or it would surprise us what the Lord has done. He loved His sheep. He led His sheep. He looked after the needs of His sheep. And then ultimately, He laid down His life for His sheep. For many years, the picture had been of an animal being the sacrifice Under that Old Testament law, countless animals have been sacrificed to appease God, to atone for the sins of the people. And the Hebrews writer teaches us in Hebrews 10 and verse 4, the blood of bulls and goats could never really take away sins. Jesus then stated, I am the good shepherd, and I laid down my life for my sheep. He became our atonement. He literally laid down His life. He went to Calvary, and He took my place on the cross. But God in heaven also made a great sacrifice by allowing His Son to go through with that. You see, when David said, the Lord is my shepherd, he had all good things in mind. God loves us. God leads us. God looks after our needs. And God sacrifices ultimately to our needs. He is my shepherd. And because of that, hopefully we can say along with David, The word we skipped over, which is very special. The Lord is my shepherd. The Creator who loves, who leads, who looks after, who lays down His life is my shepherd. A simple song we sometimes sing begins with the words, O God, You are my God, and I will ever praise You. We need to remember what Paul said when he spoke on Mars Hill and said, He is not far from any one of us. Acts chapter 17 and verse 27. David, being a shepherd himself, was probably thinking of some kind of mark of identification that was placed upon sheep to connect them to their owner. Again, I refer you to something written in Philip Keller's book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. He tells this story. He says, The day I bought my first 30 ewes, little sheep, my neighbor and I sat on the dusty corral rails that enclosed the sheep pens and admired the choice, strong, well-bred ewes that had become mine. Turning to me, he handed me a large, sharp, killing knife and remarked tersely, Well, Philip, they're yours. Now you'll have to put your mark on them. I knew exactly what he meant. Each shepherd has his own distinctive earmark, which he cuts into one or the other of the ears of his sheep. 
In this way, even at a distance, it is easy to determine to whom the sheep belongs. It was not the most pleasant procedure to catch each ewe in turn and lay her ear on a wooden block, then notch it deeply with the razor-sharp edge of the knife. There was pain for both of us. But from our mutual suffering, an indelible lifelong mark of ownership was made that could never be erased. And from then on, every sheep that came into my possession would bear my mark. You ever considered the fact that we bear the very image of Jehovah? We are the only part of creation that carries or really is an eternal soul. But if we allow Jehovah to truly be our shepherd, we also bear a special mark of ownership. In the New Testament, we're told, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 and verse 38. Paul would extend that in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, when he gives this beautiful statement, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. I can't fully explain that. I can't fully understand. There's no way I can wrap my brain around all that that means or all that that entails or even specifically how that happens. But I know absolutely that the Lord is my shepherd. And I know absolutely that if He is my shepherd, I bear His mark. He loves me enough to place that mark within me because He wants so much to be that close to each one of us. And so we can rightfully sing the beautiful words, My God and I go in the field together. We walk and talk as good friends should and do. We clasp our hands. Our voices ring with laughter. My God and I walk through the meadow's hue. My God and I will go for a together. We'll walk and talk as good friends should and do. This earth will pass. And with it, common trifles. But God and I will go unendingly. You've heard the story many times before, I'm sure. And I hope you'll forgive me for using a well-used story. But it's a story of an old man and a young man who are called to the same platform to simply state the 23rd Psalm. A special program was presented, and that was part of the service or the ceremony for that night. The young man was a trained speaker. In fact, he was an actor. And he began to quote this beautiful psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, with all of the great oration he possibly could muster. And when he finally finished the last verse, the sixth verse of the the psalm, the audience roared and clapped their hands and cheered, even calling for an encore for how beautifully he recited these very simple and wonderful words. But then the old gentleman, leaning heavily on a cane, stepped to the front of that very same platform, And had no great oration, but a feeble and shaking voice. And he repeated the same words, The Lord is my shepherd, and on and on through the verses. But when he was finished, there were no cheers. In fact, there was silence. It was almost as if people had prayed when he finished, because it was so quiet. And after a few moments of silence, the young man, the good orator, stood back up. And he said, Friends, I wish to make an explanation. You asked me to come back and repeat the psalm, but you remained silent when my friend here was seated. But I know the difference, and I shall tell you. I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. 
See, you and I know the words, the Lord is my shepherd. Many of you can quote those words, and many of you can quote the entire psalm without even really thinking about it. And to many of us, it's meant more than we can even imagine. Those six little verses tucked away in the book of Psalms. But here's the question. Are they just words I can quote? Or is He really my shepherd? In other words, when I say those five words, the Lord is my shepherd, am I saying the truth? Aren't you thankful that He desires to be your shepherd? Aren't you thankful that the one who paid the price for you wants to be your shepherd? The Lord, He's the only one. The Lord, He is sovereign. The Lord is, He's sustaining. The Lord is my shepherd. But the Lord is my shepherd. And I can't tell you how special that is. But if you're a Christian, you know how special that is. And so it's not I ask, is he your shepherd? He invites you into his flock, into his fold, because he's already paid the price for it. He gave his only son as the price And all you must do is follow in the footsteps of that son. You've heard the word of God proclaimed, I hope, tonight. And I pray that you believe it, that you trust in it with all your heart. God asks you to turn from those things that are wrong. We call it repentance. His own son said that we must repent or we'll perish. Luke chapter 13 and verse 3. Then he said we must confess him as Lord and Savior. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who is in heaven. And then he said we must be baptized, immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins. Mark chapter 16 and verse 16. When that happens, the Lord is my shepherd. Maybe tonight you are a Christian. You are a part of that flock, but you haven't been faithfully following the shepherd. And You know the Lord is your shepherd, but you also know you need to hear His voice again, not audibly, but through His Word and following that Word each and every day of your life. Do you need prayers tonight of forgiveness? You need prayers tonight of encouragement. Whatever your need is tonight, come to the shepherd while we stand and sing to encourage you.